Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Cliffy, you got something on your mind? Shocking truth is, today I saw a fellow postal employee remove a fragrance sample from a magazine. So? So, Sammy, that's in direct violation of postal employee regulations. It's a smudge on the honor of every mail carrier who ever donned this uniform. <laughs> so? <laughs> so, Sam, look, on one hand, I don't want to be a snitch, but on the other, I can't endorse anarchy. <laughs> what should I do? Compromise. Have a beer. Yeah, yeah here you go. There you go. Oh, oh, well, I see I should uh, look elsewhere for help on this, huh? <laughs> uh, Diane, I've... Uh, Got a little problem here. Who doesn't? Valid. <laughs> Valid. Well, I guess my choice is clear. I must follow my conscience and uh, report this. Oh, come on, man. A fragrance sample. Really? Let it go. Let it go, Sammy? I let this go, and tomorrow Hitler is in the White House. I can do without that. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me once again is one of the Cheerscast executive producers, Omar Yudin. Welcome back, Omar. Hey, Ryan. Long time no chat. It's great to uh, be talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, last time you were on Season 1, Episode 3, and now we're on Season 3, Episode 3. Uh, and you defer a guest that's been away that long, I, I would probably ask, hey, what's been new in your life in the last couple of months? And since that question is just as depressing every time I ask it of somebody, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to hit you with something different. Sure. Give me some good news. Give me like new music or TV that you have discovered since quarantine and lockdown and everything. Oh, uh, what a fantastic question. Um, and you know, not to, not to do too much cross promotion, on the uh, Fire and Water podcast network, but uh, <laughs> I've been absolutely obsessed with the new Bob Dylan album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, yeah. uh, that came out a couple weeks ago. Um, I have, yeah, I've, I've basically, you know, absconded from all other type of music uh, and exclusively listened to that for, you know, I think this is like the 16th or 17th consecutive day. So like, yeah, no, it's bringing, <laughs> it's bringing me a lot of joy for many reasons, not the least of which is I can hope, only hope that, you know, when I'm 79 years old, I can get out of a chair, let alone, you know, <laughs> write amazing uh, songs. So, so yeah, no, I'm, I, I appreciate you asking. I'm fine. I'm, I'm listening to new things. It, it could be a lot worse. My facial hair has grown down to my belly button. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, it's, it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> I think the new Bob Dylan and the new Fiona Apple are the only new albums I've heard in like the last six months. I think everything else is just I, I listen to old stuff as research or preparation for the Fire and Water Records show. So, I mean, listen as as new stuff goes, you could do a lot worse than those two. So yeah, I think you're I think you're doing right just fine. Uh, as I said, we're talking about episode three of the third season, 
titled I Call Your Name. This episode is written by Peter Casey and David Lee, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, October 18th, 1984. That means there was a gap week between episodes two and three, and I did not look up what might have been on the air that Thursday instead. Uh, maybe some kind of playoff game or something. I don't know. Maybe a movie of the week. They were really big uh, back in the day, right? Maybe. <laughs> All right, getting into the episode, Cliff is conflicted after he witnesses a fellow postal carrier steal a perfume sample from someone's mail. His personal ethics demand he report the incident. On the other hand, the carrier in question is Lewis, the larger black man previously seen in the Season 2 episode, Cliff's Rocky Moment. Carla calls Cliff a chicken until he rats out Lewis to his superiors. That night, Lewis, having been fired, comes to the bar looking for Cliff, not to kill him, as Cliff suspects, but to make use of his general nosiness to ferret out the snitch. The next day, Lewis returns to find out who turned him in. Cliff gives Lewis a slip of paper with the guilty party's name on it, but begs Lewis to consider the ethical reasons the carrier did and his genuine remorse. Lewis, realizing that it was Cliff, lets him go with the sternest of warnings. Which is good, because Cliff fingered another carrier as his scapegoat on the (laughs) slip of paper. Meanwhile, Diane is in a crappy mood after a fight with Frazier, but she refuses to talk about it with Sam or anyone at the bar. That night after closing, Frazier comes to Cheers seeking advice. He tells Sam that one of his patients... Frazier refers to as Thor, is struggling to cope after his girlfriend, Electra, called out the name of a former lover during sex. Sam tells Frazier, based on his storied sexual history, not to worry about it, or that Thor shouldn't worry about it. It means nothing. Of course, Sam knows perfectly well who Frazier is talking about. The next day, Sam not so subtly lets Diane know that he knows she called out his name while she was with Frazier. She's furious that Sam knows and equally furious at Frazier for telling Sam. Frazier is mad at Sam for breaking his confidence, but his real problem is he thinks Sam and Diane still love each other. They both convince him that they feel nothing for the other, but after Frazier leaves, Diane tells Sam she is still hung up on him. They kiss passionately. Until Diane calls out Frazier's name, causing Sam to flip out. Alright, um, before getting into the notes, uh, a little uh, fun fact, or a little, a little known fact, as Cliff calls them. Uh, the writers for this episode, Peter Casey and David Lee, this was their first episode on Cheers. They eventually wrote, I think, ten episodes in all, but they became producers on the show for like three or four seasons after this. I think seasons four through six or four through seven. Then they left Cheers with another writer-producer, David Angel, and the three of them created the show Wings. Um, but even after that, they still wrote a few episodes of Cheers, uh, up to including like one of the very last episodes, um, uh, The Guy Can't Help It, where Sam has to come to address his sexual addiction. And big shout-out to one of my listeners, Luis Allen Rizzo, uh, who provided me with some of that information. So, um, Can I also interject and, you know, and point out the very material uh development was that uh this this trio uh david angel and did you say peter casey peter casey and david lee yeah. david lee they not only went on to create wings which you know is technically a spin-off of cheers and i believe there was uh, one crossover episode that featured 
uh, Fraser Crane, yeah. where Kelsey Grammer was nominated. I think Norman Cliff might have. Did Norman Cliff show up on Cheers? You know what? They did. It was like for a couple of seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, but not only that, they actually went on to create and, and be the executive producers and showrunners for Frasier. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And no, they, they, so so they have like their DNA in this whole um, Cheers extended universe. I guess we're calling it is uh, quite profound. I mean, other than you know um, Jimmy Burrows and the uh, the two guys whose names escape me that he created this with, I don't think anyone was as you know, any people were as uh, deeply involved as those guys. And, you know, just random fact, and, it, and it's very sad, uh, David Angel, um, he was on one of the planes that crashed into the World Trade Center on September 11th. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading about that, yeah. Yeah. So. All right, getting back to this episode, uh, starting with the the teaser, which features Carla comes back to the bar with her date, who is... Just about as pathetic as you can. <laughs> like, like I, I, I'm not one to judge people, but you, you listen to this guy talk for like two seconds. Like, God, what a loser! I what mean, a- in his affect, in his look. I mean, I hate to pick on the guy, but like, they got a real, a, like, the real perfect physical specimen for this role. Who's the? Is it Droopy Dog or something like that? He's like that guy, like without the voice, like without that type yes. of voicing. He is basically exactly. the physical human manifestation of that type of character. This is true. And what, what what made it confusing for me initially was that his name was Eddie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is the name of the character she'll eventually marry her next her next husband. Yeah. Yeah. And so so I had initially, and you know, I hadn't seen this one for a while. I hadn't seen season three in ages. So you know, when I was watching, because I knew that Jay Thomas played the role of Eddie, mm-hmm. uh, her husband. But I maybe initially thought, wait a second, is it a situation where this is the Eddie and they just recast him later? But then he just ended up being such a loser, <laughs> um, which is fine because honestly, like, and I uh, maybe this this might be controversial to you, but like, I actually think the whole bit was mainly a setup for Coach to be funny. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, just the way he just kind of like went along with it and just the punchline of just like. <laughs> You know, uh, Eddie's just like, yeah, you, you couldn't see the RVs, but you have to take off your shoes. And he just starts immediately going for it, which I could see from like miles away. And it was still funny. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing sets up with like her when she comes back, like the the way that the, you find out how much this guy just whines and complains is she brings him back to the bar saying she forgot to tell him that she actually had to work that night. She didn't have the night off. And after a couple of seconds, it's it's pretty easy. It's like. No, she did have the night off. She got to the she got she got on her date with this guy and was like, "I don't want to be with this guy anymore. What's an excuse I can use to get out of this date?" Which strikes me as like a, a later version of Carla would just hit, just like kick him out. She'd just be like, "We're we're done with this." This yeah. this Carla at this stage maybe is being a little bit more polite and trying to pass him off on coach instead of just doing. Yeah, it she's, she's still in the trying phase, which I give credit for. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and yeah, the Eddie that we're, we're being so hard on, uh, it was played by a guy named Mitch Krendel. Uh, he's got a dozen credits during the 80s and 90s, including shows like Night Court, Barney Miller, Heart to Heart, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, stuff like that. I mean, um, I hope he's playing the same sad sack guy. <laughs> I hope it's like a Richard Belzer thing where like that's all he does because it's like he's got that down perfectly he certainly does and yeah the whole thing is like basically uh she he's got tickets to what the rv show <laughs> and, and uh, carla's like hey coach don't you love RVs? Like, oh yeah yeah and so she she basically sends coach to to the the show with uh with eddie and eddie's like well i guess i won't get a good night kiss and carla's like you might if you're really nice so. <laughs> it was like it's that is just a perfect teaser 
uh, like a perfect cold open. That's that's how they did it back in the day. It was yeah, like exactly. well executed, nothing to do with the meat of the plot, but you still don't want to leave it on the cutting room floor because it's got like just a couple of like wonderful beats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I was going through the you know the synopsis, I broke it up cleanly into there's Cliff's plot and then there's Sam and Diane and Fraser's plot, and I was almost unclear as to which one was the A plot because mm. Cliff's is very front loaded. Um, when you get to like the Sam and Diane of the thing, like that 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 comes really late in the act because at first Diane is just ticked off about something. We don't really find out from her what it is. There's just like the one line where she admits that she's been having this fight with Frazier, and I just remember the line. She says, he insists on making mountains out of molehills. Yes. And, and Carla responds, he wants you to wear a padded bra? <laughs> and I always remember that line because it was one of the clips in like the 200th episode spectacular yes. that did, that showed all the clips from the, the you, previous you really, You really, in divvying it up mentally, you were you were a little bit back and forth on which one was the A plot and which one was the B plot. Because, I mean, my default consideration is that it's always the Sam and Diane. That's always the A plot. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, ultimately that's where it landed. But it just seemed like it was almost like it was so like heavy where Cliffs was like front loaded the front, the first part of Act 1 and the first part of Act 2 was all Cliff. So just yeah. the fact that that seemed to be so much more prevalent. And, but then, yeah, by the time it, like the whole anchor, the whole last five minutes when it's when it's Sam, Diane, and Frazier in the back office, then you know, yeah, this is what this episode is sort of about. Do you think, do you think like the running time, like if, if we actually div- divvied it up cleanly, like more, a, gr- a greater amount of the running time was spent on the Cliff plot? I mean, maybe. I mean, the the stuff with uh, with uh, I mean, Diane is hardly in the first act, and it's really just the scene between Sam and Fraser at the end of the first act. Yeah, that's right. Uh, or, or at the end of the first day, or something like that. Uh-huh, it's really uh-huh. just when Fraser comes after closing time, and they have their their scene. There's really not much between Sam and Diane in the first part of, in the first half of the show. Yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, I guess I I might be remembering the. Sam and Fraser scene as longer than it actually was, but but no, you're probably right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, in terms of actual screen time, in terms of length of time, it, they might be even, or the the other play might be longer, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll we'll sort of take them in terms. We'll we'll focus on the Cliff stuff first. Sure. Um, I like that. You know, when he first comes in, he's he's all upset about it, and. You know, he's trying to make his case to be, you know, to feeling righteous. The the right thing to do is to turn this guy in. He says, if I, if I don't stand up today, tomorrow Hitler's in the White House. And again, that moment was sealed by, like, Coach's response when he was just like, well, that's – what did he say? That That's not right. We can't have that. He, his, his answer is, well, I could do without that. Yeah. <laughs> again, and it's it's just – it's the, 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 the half deadpan, half earnest way he went about it and, like, the way – like Nicholas Colasanto just kind of like furrows his brow and like squints his eyes when like considering things like it's just, you know, I, I can't remember who it was. And again, I don't want to get too like lofty about comedy just because I, I it, it's hard for me to sort of dissect and analyze it as an art form. I just fi- like feel like, well, if it, if it hits, it hits. But like some famous comedic actor was giving an interview, an interview and, you know, I'm sure you know this instinctively, Ryan, but it's just like we don't play it as if it's comedy we dive into it and like our, our nonverbals and our facial expressions are, it's as if we're playing it as a drama. And like, I think Ernie Pantuso's reactions are what sort of sell it. Yes. The Hitler analogy is, is funny and it's like overwrought and it's classic cliff Clavin. It's, it definitely resonates differently 36 years later than, yeah. <laughs> than you would hope it would have. Yes. No, I, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, 
but yeah, no, and and I don't have a great memory as to when Cliff started. It might have been late in season one or like middle of season two when he sort of commanded enough like interest as a character to start getting his own plots. But like this to me is a really good example of why he's a, a that character is a really terrific vehicle for like his own side plots. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally bought into like his stupid duty, honor, loyalty, U.S. Postal Service thing. Like I totally bought into like how dopely conflicted he was, you know? Yeah, he's the character who is so earnest yeah. and so dedicated about something that nobody else cares about, <laughs> that yes. nobody else would regard as as being that. I mean, like just as he's trying to describe them, he's like, he's like, I saw somebody you know steal this perfume sample, and they're literally like, so, <laughs> like, so what? <laughs> and and then of course when he tells it, he's like, it was this guy Lewis, and they're like, and it was this is actually like a nice callback, a bit of continuity that they refer to the character who had shown up before. And the fact that they remember, it's like, hey, this is a this is a large black guy. Are you sure you want to piss him off? Or? Well, you know, and and this it's an interesting pivot point, and I, I just I don't remember Lewis's appear, previous appearance. Um, was it substantial, or was he just in and out? It was, he was basically it was it was an episode. It was the episode was um, Cliff's Rocky moment where Cliff was being harassed by this other guy in the bar who was just a jerk and just like every time Cliff went on about one of his things, his his weird conspiracy theories or his little facts, this guy was basically just telling him to shut up and they this character just didn't work because he was just too antagonistic and we didn't know who this guy was but basically he called cliff out and cliff had to fight him so instead cliff brought his his uh you know his his a friend from the, from the post office with him who just happened to be this mountain of a guy who looks like a bouncer at a club or something yeah. like that. Well, and, well, and he was going to sick Lewis on him to do his fighting for him. And it ends up reversing on him because when the guy is explaining to Lewis, hey, I'm sorry, I just don't like the guy. He's just got a big mouth and he runs it and it drives me crazy. And Lewis is about to punch this guy and he's like, you know what? He does the same thing down at the office. And, and Lewis gets mad at Cliff. And you can see Cliff freaking out. He's like, oh, this isn't going to go the way I want it to. All right. So, like, on this particular topic, like, wokeness alert, uh, I because I didn't have the backstory with Lewis, like, primed in my brain, like, I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're just being like, oh, no, not that big black guy. Like, yeah. that to me <laughs> struck me as, like, very problematic. Uh, and, and then, you know, and that was that, that left enough of an imprint. And then, like, when I saw Lewis, I was just like, you know, you, it's funny. You describe him as, like, looking like a bouncer. Um, and to me, I remember writing in my notes, I was just like, well, I mean, he's taller than Cliff. But other than that, he just seems like a, like a black guy. <laughs> um, but, but again, I, I listen, if there had not been a, a backstory with Lewis – I might be a little more predisposed to be like, mm, I don't know that I would make that choice because it just it just <laughs> hit my ear weirdly just based on the times we're in. Uh, and, and, you know, because I, I, I wonder and, you know, you're much better, much better predisposed to remember stuff like this. I'm assuming prominent African-American guests on that show, whether it's recurring or one offs from 82 to 93, let's generously say sparse. I no, I was actually just going to say that I think he is the only person of color who comes back for more than one episode and, and, and by far has like the most dialogue across those two appearances. I can't think of another one. Uh I mean Not even in the later years? No, it's actually more white in the later years. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think they like the the later years I think they got more white and and actually there were I think there there 
I'm, I could be misremembering this, but I think they were even more gay-friendly in the earlier seasons than they were in the later. Um, I, I know, gosh, I think Marsha Warfield does, has a guest appearance, I think, at the end of this season. Okay. Uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans was in, I think, the first season. Like, And these were just, like, tiny little bit parts. Um, like, I, like, I, I want to give I, – I give a lot of these, you know, uh, showrunners the benefit of the doubt to a certain extent, and especially, like – Boston and like it's just it's just it, it's a very segregated city you know and it's fine I'm not like lambasting I mean I am lambasting it I live in Chicago like the most segregated city in the country it's just I I totally can see that as a realistic thing a bar hangout where you know very few if any black people actually show up um I think that you know with the the hindsight being what it is it it just seems a little icky um, mm-hmm. But I do think my sharp edges as I was watching this and taking notes initially would have been sanded off quite a bit if I had remembered that Lewis was in a previous episode. Because, like, again, I saw him and I was just like, well, I mean, he's tall. Like, he's a he's a head taller than Cliff. But, like, he's not, like, super menacing. I may have been I may have been attributing it because the, the actor uh, who plays him, he's a guy named Sam Scarber. Um, and he was in a lot of action movies in like the gotcha, 80s and 90s. Okay. Like he was in uh, an Ar- one of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, I think Eraser or something like that. So when I was just yeah. looking at his IMDb credits, like thinking about those things, maybe that sort of planted the seed. Um, I like the actor. I think he looks good. I think I like his energy and his intensity in his few little scenes. I like um, his <laughs> eyes. I like like how his eyes like bore through Cliff. Yeah. It's great. Um, for, for the comic book lovers who might be listening to this, like I, I think he would have made a great uh, Luke Cage character if they had done that series in the 80s or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I like him. I, like the, the menace, like the, the threat that he can put into Cliff. I mean, just when he walks in and Cliff starts shaking and he's like, oh! <laughs> like when Cliff thinks he's going to be killed. It's... Oh, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, yes, I, I think it's like really great comic payoff. And like one of the things I noted was Ratzenberger's like physicality in both moments, like after like Lewis showed up the first time mm-hmm. and then after Lewis showed the payoff when Lewis shows up the second time and he gets sent on his way and like without opening up the envelope and you could still like feel like Cliff's knees going out. <laughs> and even though, I mean, that the envelope was not incriminating to Cliff at all. <laughs> like that, that, that was like the absolute perfect payoff. But like, I just love that he was still spooked. His, like his face still went white. Um, yeah, no, and that's a testament to like, yeah, how, how menacing he was. And so that, no, I thought that that was a very worthy, like, B-plot, like, not a distraction at all. Like, I thought it was, like, really enjoyable. And, and yeah, I guess because of the fact that I knew he was a returning character who was meant to play a heavy, like, a physically threatening character sure. in his first appearance, because of that, I didn't think about, but, like, if you don't have that context, yeah. then, yeah, <laughs> then, then it does basically just, pre- his entrance is meant what, to provoke... you mean that black guy? Whoa, 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 Cliff, and Hang the whole, on. the whole way that Cliff, like, reacts to him, it's just the fear of a black man. It's like, yeah. okay, yeah, I can see, the, okay, this is awkward. <laughs> it's yeah. like, maybe this... This is one of those things that you don't do in 2020. But, yeah, uh, like, listen, this is not, again, there is a spectrum. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, again, there were shows that came out, like, years after Cheers did. I mean, my goodness, Tina Fey had to pull down a few episodes from the new Peacock streaming service at 30 Rock because they featured blackface. Which, um, which, okay, okay. 
if if that is offensive, then I'm not going to say. I, I I was trying to remember the episodes where that happened, uh-huh. and I, my memory was always that it was explicitly pointing out how wrong that was, up to and including no, having no, no, black I, I having black I, characters say that is really messed up. You shouldn't yeah. do that. So no, it's perfect. It was actually a per, and I was disappointed that it was taken down because it's explicitly to satirize it. But like mm-hmm. just from a superficial hot button standpoint, like this is much more tame compared to that. But yes, if you do it, if you dig in. Those thirty rock episodes, especially the one with John Hamm and blackface. Yes. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That, that was excellent. wrong. But I was I was thinking about the one where um where Tracy goes as a white woman and um Jenna does as a uh, dresses as a black man and does the get on down the road and they're trying to prove who has it worse, black black men or white women in the world. So yeah. So so no no. I think you're right. Your point is taken. And let me let me withdraw the analogy and simply say that comparing Cheers to like its contemporaries. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure they were fine from a, like, standpoint of, like, I don't want to say inclusion, but, like, at least decency. But, like, yeah, your demographics are your demographics. And, like, a bar in Boston in the early 80s, just, you're not going to have a lot of diversity, and that's just kind of the way it is. It sucks, but, like, it is what it is. Yeah, actually, I mean, I, I but I remember noticing, like, at the time, because Cheers, uh, you know, before it was Wings or anything else, you know, when it was followed by Night Court, a third of Night Court's cast was black between uh, Charles Robinson and Marshall Warfield, so... Oh, I guess that's right. And it is following, you know, one of the shows that followed the Cosby show. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. from the, some totality of that evening was, yeah, I guess Cheers was a, li- a little bit on the, the white side. But um, no, listen, it's still a, a very enjoyable plot. And again, like, I just think the payoff, again, it's just it's simple comic beats, right? That's what makes mm-hmm. the show so great. I just ne- I never thought about it as reinventing the wheel, just like sort of perfecting it. Like the the payoff of like them opening the letter and like seeing the name of what's the name like Juan Torres Juan Torres yeah like man. just beautiful <laughs> and then and then like you wait a second and then she's just like and there's a map to his house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Cliff of course he's like he's like I knew I knew Lewis wasn't gonna hurt Juan the guys in a body cast he fell off a roof or something two weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> no it was great it was great like really well done. Um, you know, my regret was obviously every episode has to sideline someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like George went didn't get even enough usual witty asides to make his appearance like that worthwhile. But like, I get it. It's it was a, it was a big cast at that point, and probably going to a topic we're going to be discussing in a minute or two. The next plot with the inclusion of a potentially major new character, mm-hmm. you just have to sort of draw straws and like every week one or two people are going to get the the short stick but it's just to me it's like Rhea Perlman makes the most of her scant time as does um coach uh but I just feel like George Went didn't have a lot to do and even when he usually doesn't have a lot to do he still has some some memorable one-liners and this was not that you know I had that note too and I'm actually I'm gonna jump ahead uh and just uh and put this right out there for Norm's tab for this episode I only gave him credit for one beer Oh, that's weird. Um, which at, at, at this at this point he was up to prior to this he was up to 198 for the series. I'm like, well, of course he'll crack 200 for, by the next episode. And when I got to this one, throughout Act Two, for for one thing, he's not sitting at his new usual seat. He's actually in the back behind the bar okay, for yeah. a good chunk of it. And the way everything else is staged between different characters or like the cash register or something, you can never actually see if he's got a beer in front of him. We might be able to infer that he probably did. 
did, but based on the way I'm I'm attacking this thing, I'm not giving him credit for for having any beer in the second act. He's he's just not there. So I only give him credit for one beer. So up up to this point, he's got 199 for the series. So uh, you know what? If you do at some point, don't do. We don't need to do it now. But I would be really interested if you like knocked out the averages of that because you got 22 episodes in the first season, 22 in the second season. So you're like what 44 or 45 at this point. So 200 beers divided by like 45 episodes. I mean, that's that's averaging a, a handful each episode. And I just think one this episode, that's a drastic come down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a, it's been a little bit under 100 every season up to this point. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking around four beers, probably the average four to five somewhere in there. So, yeah, that's still. Yeah. Like, um, no one likes but, I mean, skinny Santa. You know, I want yeah. Norm to be drinking yeah, but I mean, and some of them are like you've got the outliers, like where sometimes he'll have more than ten because that's right. part of a joke or something. Sure, like sure, that. sure. So, anyway, yeah, as you were saying, let's get back to the other plot, the the Sam Diane Fraser, um, which really culminates. Sam is closing up the bar, and you get the knock on the door, and he just he doesn't even open the door. He just lifts the little uh, the curtain thing, and, and Fraser's standing there, and Sam's <laughs> like, yeah. Um, you know, Diana already left and everything. They they make a joke at her expense, and Fraser laughs way too hard and repeats the joke, which wasn't even that funny. Which is always a great tell that he had there's, this character has an agenda. They're not there just to schmooze. They want to talk about something. Um, and then when Sam is walking away, you just hear the <clears throat> clearing his throat. So he's like, "Fraser, would you like to come in?" So, um, what I, like up to this point? What do you think about Fraser as a character and how, how he's been utilized? You know, here's the thing. I, it's, it was an unbelievable debut. And, you know, what, you, what I was thinking about was that, you know, shows, I mean, at this point at the beginning of season three, like creatively, Cheers is just like on this insane, like two year long hot streak. It was just like perfect alchemy, like lightning in a bottle, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and so during those moments, traditionally with long running shows, you don't mess with casting and you typically only cast new major characters if they are replacing someone else. I don't think, I can't think of a lot of shows where like midway through like a really, really consequential creative peak that they just brought in someone new, you know, for the sake of having someone new or an antagonist or whatever. Now, I don't think that Kelsey Grammer was... You guys might have covered this in the opening premiere uh, review. I don't think Kelsey Grammer was in the opening credits until a year or two from this point. But I think, yeah, I, this is season three. I think he didn't start to be in the season, the opening credits until season five. I believe so. I but believe yeah, that's right. He, he was one of those like recurring guest stars that was basically in every episode. But no, I thought it was like seamless. It, I think it is one of the testaments to the greatness of that show is that like with all these sharply defined lead and supporting actors – you have this brand new presence. And it's like, I wrote down, I was like, he is a breath of fresh air. He is like exactly what they need. And like just his like fussiness and his fidgeting and like just, you know, and and I'm just like bowled over by like how different he looks, obviously, because it's like a long time ago. And it just reminded me of like, of uh, like uh, an episode of his spinoff where, where Ted Danson guest stars with Sam Malone and he's meeting Frazier's family and he sees his brother and he's just like, wow, you look exactly like Frazier did when uh, I first met him. And then he looked at Frazier and he's like, <laughs> what happened, man? And Frazier was just like, that wasn't exactly a health club you were running, Sam. Um, but like, it's, he's just, his mannerisms, like his, what I love is in, in retelling this story of Thor and the Electra, <laughs> 
he still has he has this thing. He hasn't become the Frasier of later seasons where his dignity has completely been like taken away and he's like sunk to their level. I think that's one thing you always talk about with Frasier's evolution on this show is that like the, the funny thing about it is he just ends, he starts off being like pompous and above it all and he just ends up sinking to everyone's level. Um, that's what every that's what happened to Rebecca too. That's what oh. happens to anybody who stay in Cheers. They fall into the gravity well that is the bar. Absolutely. But like here he's so I mean Kelsey Grammer was 28 years old, 29 years old when they shot this. And like, Mm. he was just so his little mannerisms, he was just fussy. Fussy was the word (laughs) that comes to mind. And like when Sam like opens up the, the, you know, like pulls up the the curtain to see him uh, through the door, he just looks like a little puppy. No, it was just (laughs) wonderful. That whole scene is wonderful. Like I can't say enough about like, I don't think cheer season three needed the adrenaline blast that Frazier Crane gave them. But the fact that he was there and gave them that adrenaline blast, like, I think creatively just, like, took a great show and, like, made it even greater. Like, how do you find his energy? Because, you know, like, he's in Rebounds 1 and 2, and he's, like, terrific in them. Yeah, and this one takes something that I had noticed and that I talked about with my previous guests and really, like, supercharges it. Whereas I said, you know, considering... Sam and Diane were the couple that we have been following up to this point, and now they have broken up, and we're going to throw a wrench in the works of their relationship by giving her a new boyfriend. I think any other creators, like, the, the natural thought would be was that this is going to be a rival of Sam, an antagonist. and therefore an antagonist, somebody like a Sumner character or yep. something that we've seen before, or even even like Sam's brother, who we never actually saw at the end of season one, but right. that type of character, somebody who's so different, who you're going to have this contentious relationship. Yep. But right from the beginning, and I think it was because... Sam got to know Frazier as a healer and his own doctor before he realized yeah. they were dating. That creates this weird thing where you don't hate Frazier. I don't think we're supposed to hate Frazier because Sam doesn't. The other people at the bar don't dislike him. They kind of, and I think this, <laughs> this happens too. This is another element, and, and I'm sure Shelley Long did not appreciate this, but everybody likes Frazier more than they like her. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And, you know, what I was thinking of, you know, because after I saw this, I was just like, God, I got to see this guy's first couple scenes again. So I went back and watched rewatched the rebound two parter. Um, But like the thing about it is I I was thinking, I wonder what I would have because everything you just said about his presence is from the very beginning is absolutely true. And I can kind of see why Shelley Long felt threatened by the introduction of that character. But like I in watching it this time, I was just like, I wonder what I would have felt like if I was like you know, an adult watching Cheers in its first run, like as old as I am now. Oh, God, mm-hmm. if I was as old as I am now in the year 2020, I'd be 65. You know what? I don't like this analogy. But <laughs> if I was but if I was an adult watching it and I saw Frasier, I would actually not knowing how he like turned out. It's like the way you felt like when you saw Kirstie Alley as Rebecca Howe, those first couple of episodes is like this person has their crap together. Oh man, this is like a this is like an alpha that Diana's with, you know? Not a child like Sam Malone. Someone who's mature, someone who's responsible, someone who knows what he wants and is forthright enough to like, you know, talk about his emotions, but in an adult way, not needy at all, willing to give space. Like, you know what I mean? I probably would have been like, what an impressive like individual. Like the anti Sam. And just what I love about him as a character is like you said with Rebecca, we just see him just getting bled. <laughs> um, but it just it's just nice to see him like sort of so promising uh, at this stage. Like, you know, like like he just just think of like the 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 magnificent gesture of like 
potentially blowing up his own relationship and saying to these two, hey, we need to at least admit that you have feelings for each other. Now, I know that's partially the professional psychiatrist in him talking, but like ostensibly speaking, that's a risk. You know, like the fact that he wants to be candid, that just makes him like the absolute grown up in the room. So, so yeah, sorry, that was just a long way of saying like, I love Kelsey Grammer's introduction. And yeah, so so coming back to his scene when he sits down at the bar with Sam and you know, he is not he is not the threat. He's not lording his intellectual superiority over Sam. Yeah. He comes to Sam in a position of vulnerability. Yeah. He's like, I need your advice on something that I'm not equipped to handle. And Sam's like Really, and he's like, and he does the thing. He's like, believe it or not, you know, psychiatrists do seek the opinion of outside people. He's like, and he makes this whole thing. He's like, your, you know, sexual <laughs> exploits are, you know, are could be compared to a panoramic mural, whereas Thor's are a silly little doodle and everything, kind of. So he's like, and then he tells the story. He's like, Thor was in bed with Electra, and she called out a former lover's name, and Sam is like, ouch, 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 that hurts. So, um. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on the line because it is my home run. It's pretty obvious. So, but yeah, so he's he's asking for help, and and Sam is like, you know what? Tell Thor or whoever that it's not a big deal. You know, it, it happens to everybody. But the fact that they have that little bonding moment over each other or, or with each other, like you really see. I mean, this. I mean, eventually these guys will be like almost best friends in the bar. You know, eight seasons from now. Yeah. You know, there will be whether you call them best friends or not. There will be a a trust and a, a a community between these two characters in part because they went through the trenches of Diane together and they both oh god they both I, mean, I was just that. thinking exactly yeah. that line near the end of like when Fraser was leaving he was like thanks for the cold one <laughs> he's like and I'm not and I don't mean <laughs> Diane like, I mean the beer huh? yeah <laughs> what what so, so that- two sips of beer and I'm a jack and any <laughs> That 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 moment where Sam like lets him off the hook before he leaves by just being like, oh, it happens all the time. That is why, despite his like childishness and oafishness, that is why we love Sam. That is why Sam is like is is the like dad in the house. It's the same reason why like when Cliff was in trouble earlier in the episode, like Sam was just like, hey, do you want to spend the night in my office? Yeah, That's just yeah. like a little thing that Sam does routinely that makes everyone feel good and protected. And it's why like he has the rope like to to be a jackass with Diane the next day, <laughs> like taunting her and baiting her about it. Um, and it will always come back to him. Because of little moments like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, uh, Shelley Long's reaction when she fi- finally figures out that, well, Sam basically says, you know, he's like, I, I don't even remember how he says it, but he lets her know that he knows that she called out Fraser's name. And her series of reactions. Perfect. It's per- she perfect. first grabs the desk lamp to yep. hit Sam, yep. then slams it down and goes to run out the door stops there, comes back, picks up the phone like she's going to dial somebody. Then she hangs it up, grabs Sam by the collar like she's going to get in his face, and then finally just collapses on the couch in despair. It was perfect. Like, that whole scene, that was, like, a perfect, like, physical comedy routine, like, from her. Like, one of the things that's, like, I'm not going to say underrated about her, but I think one of the things that, like, we forget, like, people have forgotten in the ether of time is, like, what a gifted physical comedian she was. Like, how she could be so, like, big and broad, but also, like, make these gestures, like, picking up the lamp and then pausing, like, thoughtfully and, like, putting it down and then jerking over to the next thing. It's just, like, 
this is really, really skillful blocking, and she handles mm-hmm. it like masterfully. And like, I just love how she's just like collapses on the couch in despair and is just like, I'll kill him, and then I'll kill you, <laughs> and then I'll kill myself. And Ted Dance is just like, Hey, hey, don't get hasty. You don't need to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. And, and jumping on to, I, I think it just got mentioned on the last episode, we were talking about how. Each one of these episodes is almost like a play. You could see this like dramatized on a stage, and just like that little bit of blocking just has a where it's really just a scene of a couple of people in a room talking. That bit of blocking just brings the scene to life and gives it this energy. Yeah, man, like uh, like absolutely. And and you know, I wish circumstances allowed that I could you know be a guest more frequently to talk about especially these early years. And hopefully, I can get in you know uh, many more after this. But like, let me just use this opportunity again because, you know, obviously she's going to be gone after, you know, in a couple seasons to just simply say that, like, this is a very unique performer. This mm-hmm. is a very unique. And it was the rare moment of, like, just, again, alchemy, chemistry, like lightning in a bottle where, like, they had the perfect person to play the perfect role at the perfect time. Like, and, right. and, and I think that she just got better and better, um, this, particularly in seasons two and three when she was already, like, amazing in season one. Like, I get creatively why when she left like you know was probably a good thing just just to sort of creatively re-energize the show but uh, man these are these are master classes in comedic acting Mm -hmm. yeah i I agree um and and just uh, tapping one last thing about the physicality when when they say you know when when she says you know look in when she tells fraser she tells fraser look in my eyes and you will see i have no more feelings for sam and he he trusts her uh and then she's like look into sam's eyes too and and sam gets uncomfortable but there's this weird little moment where you know sam says i, I don't feel anything for her either and fraser is like gets really close to sam's yes. eyes and then looks back and does this whole like full body pivot to look at at, uh, at Diane's eyes and then like back to Sam and everything. It's just like this weird little gesture. And Sam is like in this reclining chair and he has to go further back. It's just like these great little physicality touches that are good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, it's just, it's, it's never overdone. It's like exactly in the right proportion to, to bring out the flavor of a scene in an interaction. Um, and again, you're talking about three Emmy winners. You're talking about like three incredibly gifted actors. Even if like Kelsey Grammer was just at the beginning of sort of his journey as Fraser Crane, he was, was already locked in like the, the little mannerisms and everything. So like with those three, especially that is that is like a murderer's row of, of talent. And of course, at this point, they didn't know what his what his life on the series would be uh, that long. But um, I, I do think it is interesting that for the first three episodes of the season, two of them have ended with Sam and Diane kissing again. Yeah. <laughs> so even though they're broken up, like the, the remit of the show was still kind of the Sam and Diane adventure and their, their story. So. And I imagine if you're, you know, if you were watching it for the first time, you are not at, even at this point being like, ah, oh, enough already. Now, like reasonable minds could disagree again. And, you know, and, Two years from this point, two seasons from this point, two and a half seasons from this point, I get, even though I still love it, I get where people are just like, I mean, are this again? But even now, at the beginning of season three, it's, even after them having completed a relationship where it is clearly evident to everyone around them that they are <laughs> comically mismatched, I can't speak for everyone else, but I can just probably, I can speak for myself and I can feel like I can extrapolate the viewing audience's feelings in 1984, like, Will this happen? I want this to happen. I want them to get together and make it work. Like, what's going to happen? What's next? It's just, it's a neat little trick they play, even though they should, by this point, they should have exhausted our goodwill. Um, If you're watching it the first time or the second time or whatever, like, you definitely have not. Yeah. 
Yeah, they 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 knew how to draw it out, and even when they're broken up, they knew how to keep the uh, the flame alive. So that's yep. just a testament to to the creators here and, and what they were able to do. All right, uh, getting into the last little categories, uh, I mentioned for Norm's tab that up to this point he is at 199 for the series. So if he never takes another drop for the rest of the show, the next eight seasons, uh, he'll be less than 200. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening either. Yeah. Uh, who was your employee of the week for the show? Who did you think was the best? Oh, I, I think it was Diane for just lashing out at those customers arbitrarily, just based <laughs> on a bad mood. I mean, listen, she had just been cajoled back into the job. You know, it's probably not ideal. Things are rocky with the boyfriend and like some snooty old guys like telling her the martinis be drier or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. And I loved Carla like egging her on. You thought she uh, she reacted properly or appropriately to Mr. Fancy Bottom or whatever she called him? I absolutely do. Uh, for me, I gave the employee of the week to Cliff. Sure. Um, because for a lot of the range that he gave us for this one, from the just quaking with fear physically <laughs> when Lewis walks in, the false bravado that he displays at some points, the weird Swedish accent when he's on the phone, um, the the spit take uh, when uh, when they pick up the name with Juan Torres, um, to his actually like kind of legit sincere apology and everything with Lewis when he when he has to turn his back and basically prepare that he's going to be you know get his spinal cord ripped out or something like that I just thought John Ratzenberger did a great job for this one in his in his and, half and of the show absolutely and, I, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this ad nauseum but it's just like remember guys like this is a person an actor who created the character on the fly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is a character that has become like sort of immersed in like post-war pop culture American pop yeah. culture um, yep. And that just that he was just thinking on his feet, and he's like, "Oh, I've got an idea for it." And it's just, yeah, it's 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 astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and getting into the home run for the what I thought was the funniest bit of the episode, Frazier is <laughs> Frazier is basically describing his problem to Sam, and you know he talks about how she called out another man's name, and he says, "Has that ever happened to you?" <laughs> 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 and Sam's reaction, I don't think so, but then. Who listens? Yes. <laughs> and, I wrote that and, down too. And, and Frazier's like kind of like my God reaction yeah. to that. Like, look at that. And <laughs> after after the audience has stopped like like laughing and cracking up at that, he says, I've usually got the stereo going and other things on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but you love him anyway. It's, it's insane. <laughs> this is a person who demonstrates objectively sociopathic behavior. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, for all for all of his sexual exploits and like the stories and like the legends that will be told, at, at, even at this point in his life, he's kind of just bored with the act of sex. He's like, he doesn't. Like, oh my god! So, yeah. no, we we both hit on the same thing. That's a great moment. Yeah, the the only the the one other thing that I had as a runner up was uh you know after Cliff gives Lewis the envelope and everything and he, he once Lewis realizes he's like you know I, I'm gonna leave now if I were to see that name I'd probably do something stupid and Carla picks up the envelope and she's like oh come on take a look at it take a look <laughs> well on the Cliff note real thing quick and talking about second place employees of the month and I think you know Cliff is a an excellent choice um, but one moment I took note of and you can clear this up for me. Um, as the the uber aficionado of the show here, but like so so that moment when Carla started baiting him into reporting Lewis um, and clucking like a chicken, and Cliff went mm-hmm. up to her and was just like, "Oh, is this your announcement <laughs> of your, you know the birth of one of your kids?" You know what occurred to me at that point? 
my latter day understanding of Cliff and Carla's relationship is like relentless one-sided bullying. Um, and Cliff just kind of being like a, a beta dweeb about all of it, but not really giving as good as he could get, like not zinging her as sharply as she would him. Is that something that he kind of started off strong and tapered out? Or am I misremembering the last like five or seven years of the show? No, by the time we get to the Rebecca years, it's pretty much she, he is the bottom of the pecking order and she is, she's always going after him. Okay. Like, like she is his, his target pretty relentlessly but that's towards the end of the show like he was much more kind of assertive and and quick to mock her and make fun of her in the early seasons and everything like that they they really hadn't the the tears of who could pick on who hadn't necessarily been firmly established okay Um, and it was more of more of like sort of the tertiary bar guys who would like give cliff problems and, and like make fun of him and stuff like that and you're you're right that eventually it will be carla going after him every chance she gets um, but it's, it wasn't always there. No. Yeah. Just, we, you know, it's weird because like, I just have this for, again, compelling character, brilliant character, wonderful character, captivating character. But like, I just see him as perpetually like a weirdo sad sack. Um, not sad sack, like he's emoting sadness, but just, you know, just kind of a pathetic existence, uh, which is mine for comedy. Um, but, but less assertive toward the end than I'm seeing in the beginning. Well, spoilers, the very next episode that I'm going to talk about next week will we'll actually – that'll be a big chunk of the episode. So we're oh, going to talk right, about Cliff's, Cliff's uh, uh, difficulties with romance and stuff like that. Yeah, that like of- the thing is is that like this – you know, and I get it, again, I hadn't seen season three in so long. I, I remember really, really, really enjoying it, but it had been some years. And then like I, you know, I was, I was re-watching this to, to prep for this, this conversation – and I was just immediately afterward, I was like, oh, my God, I got to watch the two part rebound one right before. And then I got to like rip through the rest of season three. Uh, it, you know, this is just a very high quality episode of a show that was firing on all cylinders, like both the A plot and the B plot were like very well handled. Nothing felt overstuffed or like filler. Great cold open, like great performances by like the supporting characters, like great comic timing, like great climactic scene in the office. Like it's just pretty much your prototypical great cheers episode so i think it's a really wonderful example of a show kind of at its creative peak well thank you very much for coming on the show to talk about this with me i I really appreciate it well uh, yeah it was my pleasure i'm I'm happy always happy to do it and uh hopefully we can do it again real soon yeah absolutely uh thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on facebook favoriting and retweeting on twitter and leaving a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com you can also support the fire and water podcast network on patreon special thanks to mike gillis from radio versus the martians and rick from jeff and rick presents unpacking the power of power pack who sponsored this show for more information on how you can support your favorite show on the fire and water network visit patreon.com slash FW Podcasts. Thanks everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. What's his, uh, what's his problem? Well, Thor's girlfriend, let's call her Electra. <laughs> cried out Another man's name during the act of love. Oh, Thor, ouch. Mm, Precisely. So, Sam, tell me. You've been with a lot of women. I mean, when you were with one of them, did she ever call out another man's name? 
Well, I don't think so, but then who listens? <laughs> Usually I've got the uh, stereo turned up and other things on my mind. 